world's not as simple as it used to be. It's not enough to be a good guy anymore. We have to be the best. The time has come. All will be accounted for. Or we will hunt them. Stand up. It's time to be the heroes we were always meant to be. We'll have you all know that I have never wasted my time on a television show. Every show I have ever watched has been worth it. Is that like an attitude thing? Like you like you get all zen about it and you're like, no, no, it's okay that I spent this time watching, um, you, you know, Pound Puppies. I couldn't think of the name. I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't think of the name of Paw Patrol. I took, it, I took us back like 40 years. <laughs> I couldn't think of Paw Patrol in the moment, and I had to go. I was like, quick, quick, dog show. And for some reason, out of all the dog shows, it went back to Pound Puppies. <laughs> for, some, for some reason, Pound Puppies feels like that would have been the 1950s name for Orange is the New Black. Wow. And I I hate that. (laughs) Oh, no. See, and I was thinking Pound Puppies versus Paw Patrol. That would make an interesting gang fight. (laughs) So here's the thing, John. Your your whole sentiment there of like, is that sort of a Zen thing? You just kind of take things for what they are and... See the real meaning. That Mm -hmm. sounds really nice. But I watch a lot of anime, so what you know is that it's actually just a lie. Uh, I just, I don't know, there's just so many things that I have so many hobbies that, like, I just, I cannot be like my friend who has an encyclopedic memory of Rick and Morty episodes and cameos. Like, that just doesn't matter to me. I bet me. he's a hoot. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's just one of those things where, like, I, I rather remember, like, unless, unless, like, the subtext or the text of the show is, like, strong enough, like, fully coolly, I remember most of that show. Like, in detail, like, in fine detail. I remember most of Fully Cooly because it's, there's just so much to it that's, like, really interesting. And every time I rewatch it, there's something new that I, I dig up out of that. But, like, I don't know. Power Rangers? What's what's there of, like, merit there for me to remember ten years later? Like Honestly? <laughs> honestly, character designs. Yeah, but I can look that up. That's true. <laughs> like, I would be more interested, I think, in, like, an Art of Power Rangers book than I would be in actually watching Power Rangers. Mm-hmm. Although the the Super Sentai show that Power Rangers, like the original Power Rangers, was based on, mm-hmm. back when I watched DVDs, which I don't anymore, um, I watched uh, a little bit of that because I have it. I actually have the DVD collection. It's interesting. It's better than Power Rangers because it takes itself more seriously and it takes its audience more seriously. Like, not much better because it's still a show for babies. A lot of Sentai takes itself very seriously, even though at the end of the day, it's it's just a commercial for plastic transformer toys. Like, I mean, yes. <laughs> Aren't like, we my, all my, just... my roommate collects them. Like, he has a bunch of the morphers from whatever the new series are. Or like, one of like the new series is like they activate their power with like little tiny books. So like you jam like these little books in the morpher, and then like depending on which books you put in, like it's a different power combination that the ranger gets. Um, and he'll sit there when he's bored, and he'll like start like playing with it, and then he'll watch the show. But like the show takes itself so seriously, like everybody believes it. It's not a joke. Like we are here. The power of friendship will get us through, and we will defeat this twenty foot tall squid monster. <laughs> Why is it always a twenty foot tall squid monster, and not like, you know, who has gas money? You know. <laughs> Because like, that's Spider-Man. Oh. <laughs> 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 
Uh, my friends had great power of friendship. It didn't help us get through our government and econ test senior year. That was just like last minute, like, oh, geez, did anybody do the reading? I don't know about compound interest. <laughs> so speaking of the power of friendship, I love you guys. I'm very excited Aww. to talk comics with you tonight. Oh, It's the Superhuman Registration Podcast. It's a show about friendship and magic. It, it, it's My Little Pony Show now. Friendship is magic. My little comics, my little comics. Ah. <laughs> Alright, I'm Steven. I'm joined tonight by Aldo and Strawberry Daddy. How are you guys doing? I don't like this at all. <laughs> I don't like it. I... Now I need to explain that, and I don't like it. I was about... <laughs> I was about to mention that, like, I don't believe in magic or horoscope or horoscopes because it's all, like, BS. But if there's anything that would make me believe in, in magic, it's friendship because that's as close as we're ever going to get. Aww. And then you ruined it by Aww. mentioning Strawberry Daddy. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? You can sing Strawberry Daddy to the My Little Pony song. Strawberry Daddy, Strawberry Daddy. Oh, I hate, yeah. I hate that even more now. <laughs> this is a... Yeah, um... I'm not gonna. You know what? That's that was just for you guys, and it'll just be a mystery. Um, but that, but yeah, that yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> I I like it because it makes I can actually see a little bit of the text in the pop up notification in the group chat when when you <laughs> post something. I could actually see like the first like word or two of whatever the thought you're having is. What? <laughs> because because in, in your previous name was the one who gets outvoted. Which is a whole sentence. Oh, so every time you, you post it in the chat, I only saw the name and I was like, cool. Wait, the whole other time? I haven't noticed that. <laughs> you butts. For months. The For one who gets, months. I mean, I Years saw that Steven had like made point. that, like, oh, John, the one who gets outvoted. I, I saw that and like, but I don't see that. I just see Chuck Sprightly and Aldo because I don't see me. <laughs> So, I've never had a good name. I've never had a good name in our group text. This is awful. Don't, don't be like that, Daddy. No, no, oh, no. no. You have, you oh don't, man, you no! Have you have to, to kill it. No, kill it, kill it. You, you can call me Daryl if you have to. Even in, like, I think he was disgraced. But even Daryl Strawberry is better than you calling me Strawberry Daddy. I don't like it. I don't like it. Is Daryl Strawberry? Is that a thing? He's a baseball player. Oh, is he? Was oh, I mean he was like in the nineties and stuff. I thought that was a Simpsons character. What? No, he. Uh, <laughs> you. He was on the Simpsons when Mr. Burns rigs the team with real professionals. Did you think they just made up goofy names? Yes. It's the Simpsons. So, yes, we did. No, sometimes they have, like, real people. Yeah, sometimes. So, wait, hold on, I'm confused. Is Daryl Strawberry like a real people, or is he a real people? <clears throat> Daryl Eugene Strawberry, born March 12, 1962, is an American former baseball right fielder and author, played 17 seasons in Major League Baseball. What did he write? Maybe I've read one of those books, because I definitely haven't seen one of those games. <sighs> Well, I'll he, be red. He played for the Mets, the Dodgers, the Giants, and the Yankees, and um, uh, was a was a great player. I think he might have had some drug problems, but it looks like he got that straightened out. Maybe. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, nope. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so let's get on to something right. we can all agree with. We read some comics. had some run-ins with the law. 
Wait, what? Um, oh, wait, you're talking about played Mr. baseball, Strawberry, and yeah. that's a real person. That's a real person. Strawberry. I mean, who, who amongst us has not had some run-in with the law? I haven't. I what? have. <laughs> well, then. Yeah. <laughs> Steven? Why do you think I'm all, all, like, we've titled how many episodes, like, some variation of the ACAB acronym over the last couple of months? Why do you think that is? <laughs> I, I don't mean me personally. That doesn't make me a fan. Let's be on. Let's be clear. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure I told you that story, but that's going to wait for another time. Uh, you guys yeah. want to talk about some comics? Yeah, let's talk about some stories. Cool. Uh, so, yeah, we read some single issues of comics because we were getting burned out on reading some of these longer things. So we needed to take a little bit of a brain break. A little bit of a brain break. Uh, where do you guys want to start today? Which one do we think we have the least to say about Dangling Parts? Um, Fantastic Four? Yeah, I was I was going to say probably mine. Probably the um, Fantastic Four, yeah, okay. <laughs> so we read Fantastic Four number 245 that came out August 1st, 1982. Um, this is the creative team of written and directed by... Oh, see, uh, they did something funny here in their credits... <laughs> They put it up on a TV monitor in the in the window, but it's written and penciled and inked by John Byrne. Colorist was Bob Sharon and letterer Jim Novak. But um, this story starts off with uh, an invisible woman who, or invisible girl, I think at this point, she is on a talk show called Woman to Woman. Um, and Barbara Walker, who maybe was trying to be Barbara Walters, I'm not sure, is interviewing her and kind of attacking her as a... Uh, damsel in distress member of the fantastic four and she's saying no not really i mean i do have my own powers and you know uh, i did knock out the incredible hulk one time but then she's you know asking her just trying to pick at her poke at her she's like well what about uh, your affair with the submariner namor she's like no we're friends and you know and then the uh, news crew is too scared of barbara walker to tell uh, sue that there is a uh, Fantastic Four emergency flare um, from the Baxter building. So she just goes on with the interview and comes home to find um, the Fantastic Four all beaten up. Reed is stretched out all over the hallway. Uh, the, the thing is lying in a, a heap in the corner. And she discovers a, uh, a, blonde, a blonde Jesus. I don't know how else to describe this guy. <laughs> <laughs> it's a dude in torn pants, no shirt, no shoes. And a big, lush, just flowing golden locks, um, choke-holding, bare-handed, choke-holding Human Torch. Uh, the Human Torch tries to flare against him, and he can't do anything, and he uses some sort of blast on him and throws the Human Torch into the wall, throwing him out of his torch form. Uh, Sue goes invisible, but she he's still being, he, this guy is still able to see her. Uh, he pursues her, she throws a coat on him, and he magically makes it his... Like he looks even more like Jesus. This is really like getting, starting to bug me. Um, Sue escapes him by putting up a a, fan, a, uh, a fantastic shield. No, an invisible shield. A, a force field. She fights him off with little force um, uh, hailstorm, invisible hailstorm pelts, um, and is fighting it off. And then realizes, oh, my son Franklin is gone. What's going on? The news crews show up to see this fight between Sue Storm and this guy, and then she realizes, it's my son, it's Franklin. This guy is freaking out and acting crazy because my little boy has aged 
into a grown-up with no memory of, of, of aging, of maturing. Um, it's a little kid mind in this grown-up body, and he freaks out. And then they just, like, like I, I don't even know where they go, because he changes himself back after changing the thing from this, like, muddy form that he's in, um, which I still did not look at, but he's like, he's the thing, he's the same color and kind of rocky, but he looks more like he's made of mud. And then, um, Franklin changes him back into the rocky version of the thing that we're used to, the ever-loving thing, as it were, and then changes back into a boy. What's happened? I'm so cold. And he's naked in the street. And then we get this, like, instead of character development and, and, you know, cool panels with, like, you know, inside the mind of Franklin Richards, what was going on, we get this monologue from um, from Mr. Fantastic saying what's happening, that he's, oh, he's put up sh- psychic shields to block himself from his power until he's old enough to handle it because it freaked him out. Uh, these psychic dampers are now in his mind, so he won't get his powers until he's a grown-up. And, oh, he he also decided that the thing didn't want to be human again, he wanted to stay with Alicia Masters, his girlfriend, who he's worried only likes the thing and wouldn't like him in any other form. And, um, you know, we get all of that in this monologue as the thing walks away with his girlfriend into the distance. And that's it. That's the story. I thought it'd be interesting to see kind of, you know, some... We, we haven't really read anything about Franklin Richards, really. And um, that was one of the characters I thought was cool when I was getting into comics as a kid. Um my intro to him was in uh, Onslaught, which is a big X-Men and Avengers event. I was going to ask. Yep. <clears throat> where he, like, creates a pocket universe and, like, a lot of hand-wavy nonsense. He's, he's like, a really, really powerful mutant. Um, and there's a lot of potential there for, like, cool stuff. And usually, like, and everything I've read so far has been, like, eh. So um, I want to talk about this a little bit because it kind of is all over the place after we get out of the Baxter building. And after, like, you know, we're okay. It's like, okay, we're done with Sue. Let's have a man explain everything, you know. Uh, uh, how do we feel about this, guys? Well, that that little section right there that you just described uh, kind of sums up my thoughts about it. I think this story was intended to be some sort of, like, I don't know, character-saving moment for Sue Storm because I think she was getting a bad reputation as being, like, a bad feminist, which I'm now singing to the tune of Bad Medicine. But yeah, like, it doesn't do that. The character's not really rehabilitated because she spends the entire issue... Like, I think the idea is she's setting... The story is setting her up for this big, like, Wolverine fights the Hellfire Club all on his own moment, like what we saw in Dark Phoenix. Or, you know, some big moment where she's revealed to be really powerful. Um, And what we get is a lengthy story where Sue runs from the bad guy until she realizes that the bad guy is literally her son, and then she does the mommy thing for her literal son. And then Reed comes in and explains everything that happened. Yep. Like, there's... I think there's a way to do this story really well and have it be a character moment while still having Sue Storm be the mommy of the team. I don't... Let me rephrase that, because the the mommy... No. Uh, oh, now you're uncomfortable. Yeah, now, yeah. All this daddy nonsense, he's fine. But, you know, boy, Stephen, we are discovering stuff about you tonight. Anyway, <laughs> I think there's a way to tell this story and have 
Sue Storm, like, still be the team mother, still play the motherly role, but have it actually be this sort of, like, character-saving moment for her. And it starts with not having Reed explain the whole plot at the end. Yeah. How cool would it be, like, she comes in and there's a mystery, like, oh, no, there's some bad guy who took out the Fantastic Four, except Sue, you know, and what's going to happen? And she's able to, like, you know, defeat them, really, but wouldn't it be cooler if, like, they all go down, but then, you know, she's able to take him out because she's who she is and, and because she's a mom at the same time? You know, like, that is something really great. You know, like, not everybody wants to be a mother. Not everybody chooses to be a mother. I think that it is a great thing. Why why couldn't that be, like, you know, she does, it, it's, it's just, there was a, a less heavy-handed way to do that. And this felt like, hey... Hey, our our gal isn't so bad. Look at look at how great she is. Anyway, back to man time. That's kind of what it felt like, you know, like kind hey, of, yeah. you know, it's like it was like she's not really a just a mom and then it's like yeah, but she, but she's really just a mom. That's kind of what it felt like to me. Mhm. <laughs> Although, Although any anything to add? Uh I mean, I think it's a little interesting especially for like a book from the 80s, a comic book from the 80s to kind of tackle this whole kind of feminist idea. Not that like feminism is bad, right? Just that there are different one, there are different types of feminism. Mm-hmm. Some more toxic than others. And Two, the idea that, like, just because you're a mom and just because you still, like, like to date and, like, you like men and all these things, that doesn't make you, like, a feminist. And that that is exactly kind of Sue's rebuttal. I thought that whole conversation was actually a lot more interesting than the rest of the book. (laughs) Mostly because I really like that idea, right? Because not all women come in the same shape or role or upbringing or anything so like feminism or being a strong woman comes in many shapes and sizes and i think it's interesting to like recognize that and we get a lot of that recognition nowadays um especially when you talk about like you know not naming any prolific authors or anything but kind of like turf like feminists yep 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 uh so so the fact that like this is a book in the 80s about that i at least to me that that was actually kind of interesting or actually the most interesting part of the book for me yeah but yeah it is it is kind of like uh yeah let's mansplain this except not really because that would mean that she was able to explain it but like they didn't even let her like explain it right like i think it would have been a little bit more interesting if like at the end when she you know when she discovers that it's her son and like he finally like makes contact with her you know how like he reads everybody's mind but in this situation because he's a little bit more calm maybe it was like a two-way road and she was able to see what happened and then she would be able to like explain everything like that would have been cool (laughs) like yeah she could have done it and it's interesting seeing this like feminist debate written by a man you know Mm -hmm. in the 80s and it's like this this could have been very cool (laughs) yeah It feels to me, like, I read that first conversation between Barbara Walters and, you know, Sue Richards. Sorry, because she is Sue Richards, not Sue Storm at this point. Like, Mm. I read that very differently from Aldo, because to me it wasn't uh, about, like, exploring different facets of feminism, simply because I feel like the Barbara Walters stand-in is kind of intended to be, if not a joke, then at least unsympathetic where her sort of framing of feminism is very aggressive and very exclusionary and very critical of Sue Richards, who is at this point being portrayed as very traditionally feminine, very housewifey. Subservient. A little subservient, yeah. And so it it feels like, you know, the Invisible Girl's character is kind of being held up as the real virtue, the good woman, as opposed to the 
mouthy feminist who is the bad woman. Like, it, it kind of reminds me of that one episode of Powerpuff Girls where they fight the bad feminist. I don't know if that means anything to anybody else, but it's been a meme. Like, if you've been on Facebook, you've probably seen somebody post about it. Where you've got this, this like, very bad feminist. She's a supervillain who teaches the girls that men are evil and they don't need any men. Oh, and right, it's like, right. like, that's yeah. not feminism. That's not what real feminism is. And it's, like, very few feminists actually think that so it's not really a good representation of the philosophy anyway it kind of felt like that to me where it was somebody kind of taking down what they see as like militant feminists and as a result you take a character who's really supposed to be quite interesting i think but has had trouble because she's never really been written very proactive until like 90s and 2000s and 2010s i think do a really good job with sue storm on that front a, a better job but here she still kind of reads like a fifties housewife. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Still, yeah. Like I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying the whole thing or even the sub, or even the person in the middle of it was is the best example of it. But I think it is still something like I, I still think the text, maybe not the whole subtext be, between you know, the, I guess like mocking and and who the people are. Yeah, I guess like that makes sense. But I think the actual text of like being a feminist doesn't mean ascribing to one specific read of feminism like i like your read although it's just not the one i had yeah yeah no no but what i'm saying is i th i think what you're interpreting is a lot closer like the subtext or the meta text really while i'm just kind of still surface level on the text mm, fair i'm saying we're both valid <laughs> i'm just trying not to say anything that my sisters may listen to later because as the only brother in the family <laughs> sometimes i am the I am the sit-in for the patriarchy, and so sometimes I get yelled at, and I'm like, no, 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 not me. I didn't do it. <laughs> I'm one of the good ones. I'm one of the good ones. When those people say it's hashtag like... all men, it's me. I'm the not all men. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, I'm sorry. It's like sometimes I'm like, yes, yes, sisters, uh, I have a message from all men. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. <laughs> I am the harbinger of the patriarchy. I have yeah. to deliver a message onto the females. Uh. As the only representative <laughs> of the patriarchy, I am here to say that patriarchy is over. You win. <laughs> <laughs> didn't we? Didn't we solve all that back in the day? Didn't y'all burn your bras? Wasn't that it? Was that oh it? boy! <laughs> no, we're, sh we're shipping ourselves to Mars. We're no good here. <laughs> yeah i uh but i like I'm, I'm i like try to be nice but then it's sometimes she's like one of them will they'll, they'll just like do you know what the problem is and i'm like hey 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 <laughs> aim aim somewhere else <laughs> yeah <sighs> and that's the thing too it's like you know you're not wrong yeah i agree yeah 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 but like you know just yeah <laughs> so the cover to this book is really good i wish the story inside were better <laughs> I like, yeah. uh, the art's not bad either. You know, John Byrne's a great artist. John Byrne, like, did, you know, tons of classic X-Men with Chris Claremont. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know. There's there's pieces of good here. And really, like, um, Sue Storm, Sue Richards could be a really interesting character done the right way. And, and yeah, I, we, will, we will keep searching. And she does some interesting stuff. I just flipped to page 16 where she creates an invisible cube. But she creates mm -hmm. it big enough that she's not able to, like, give it the density that she normally would. But she does it on purpose so that it will actually, like, slow her fall enough from this great height that she won't actually injure herself when she lands. So, like, she yeah. does some clever stuff with her powers. It's just, yeah, at the end of the day, I don't think this is a bad story. I think it 
really like it's about 21 pages of an acceptable story with two pages of mansplaining yeah that's fair do you think if john byrne had a son or daughter who was also a writer and they worked together on a comic book that was about a niche x-men series but also a throwback issue it would be burn baby burn Disco Inferno. Oh my gosh, you piece of crap. You absolute <laughs> donut. I cannot believe. I can't. I can't. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I can see it now. We're all talking about like, you know, mansplaining's not good. Meanwhile, Aldo is constructing this like, this, this Jenga block, like, Ah, seeing the Matrix code, like, I can do it. I'm, like, halfway to Wikipedia, like, I wonder if he has kids that are in the creative field. <laughs> and you can <laughs> Then you drop Burn, Baby Burn, Disco Inferno. You <laughs> just complete <laughs> jerk. Oh, God. I can't believe... I can't believe... I can't... <sighs> How dare you do that to us? I want to be so mad, but I am equally impressed. You can be so fun. mad. It's allowed. Oh my gosh. Feel your feelings, John. <laughs> sorry, sorry, let me rephrase that. Feel your feelings, Strawberry Daddy. Oh no! I don't let like it. Let the hatred flow through you. <laughs> Not strawberry. Ichigo uh. son. <laughs> That's all I got about this book. Anybody else have anything else they want to say? No, I'm good. No, Aldo mind wiped me. We're good. <laughs> Someone's going to have to pull me out of the Nintendo and make sure there's no dust and put me back in again. <laughs> oh, boy. So I think from here, I would actually recommend we talk about the New Mutants next. Really? Okay. I think so. I think so. Mary, I think Mary Jane and Black Hat are the palate cleanser. <laughs> So, New Mutants. We read the New Mutants graphic novel. If you're looking for it at home, it is called The New Mutants Marvel Graphic Novel. Written by Chris Claremont, art by Bob McCloud, letters by Tom Orzakowski. Orzachowski? I don't know how he pronounces it. I know how I would pronounce it. Uh, colors by Glennis Ween. Yeah, so this is the story of Professor X pulling together the team of the New Mutants. Professor X is available to see to a whole bunch of new youngsters because the X-Men have disappeared. They've all off, gone off to space to fight the brood. He thinks they're gone forever and he's kind of in mourning. Can't really get himself to, to do the thing that Professor X does, which is manipulate children and brainwash them into being child soldiers. I mean, at this phase, we're still pretending that Professor X is a good guy. And so he's giving mutants uh, a safe space to uh, stay away from the uh, bigotry and hatred of the world while he trains them to use their powers so that they can coexist in peace with mankind. What gets him out of this slump is a pair of new mutants. Hey, I think that might be where the title comes from. Uh, who are brought to him. One is a mutant a Vietnamese uh, girl by the name of Shan Koi Man who has the mutant ability of like possessing people. The other mutant is the one who kind of opens the issue. Moira McTaggart comes across a young girl who turns into a wolf. Her name is Wolf Spain. It's Rain Sinclair. Uh, she is getting hunted down by some Scottish villagers who think that she's a demon and want to kill her in the name of God. Uh, but 
Moira protects her and takes her to Charles Xavier. Xavier decides to go around the world and uh, round up a couple of other mutants who have recently popped up. Uh, but he's not the only one who's keeping an eye out. There's also the X-Men villain, uh, former member of the, I guess, current member of the Hellfire Club. Uh, his name's Donald Pierce. He got the crap kicked out of him by Wolverine. And so he's a cyborg now and he's going to use his cyborg powers and his legion of cyborg henchmen to kill all of these other mutants. So Pierce is not able to capture the mutants that he wants to because uh, Professor X gets in the way. He tries to capture uh, Roberto da Costa, Sunspot, by kidnapping da Costa's girlfriend, but the, the new mutants intervene and actually rescue the girl, or rescue da Costa, but the girlfriend winds up getting caught in the crossfire and she dies and Robert da Costa, Roberto da Costa gets mad about that obviously. Pierce tries to capture Danny Moonstar, but Moonstar is able to kind of get away from him. The new mutants show up and rescue her, so between them they're able to team up uh, and, and kind of beat off Pierce's goons. The only uh, one of these mutants that Pierce actually gets to first is Cannonball. Uh, what's his name? Alex Guthrie? Sam, Gu Sam, Sam Guthrie. Guthrie. Sam Guthrie. There are a lot of Guthries. Yep. Sam Guthrie, who uh, winds up working for Pierce for a bit, aids Pierce in capturing Professor X. Uh, the rest of the young mutants that Professor X has been wounding up team up. They rescue the professor. Uh, Sam Guthrie quits working for Pierce and joins up with the the Professor X crew, and that's our new team of of X Men stand-ins, the New Mutants. Uh, it's an interesting group of characters. The characters I think are really cool. Um, I quite like the art in this book. Mm -hmm. It's definitely different than what I've seen in a lot of other uh, X Men stories of the era, but I think it's quite good. Uh, interesting sort of origin story, but it is it does very much feel like an origin story. Very little is paid off except for the formation of the team. I don't know. What do you guys think? Same. I like the art because it's very clean. Um, you know, everyone has their their look. You know, it's a it's a moment. You know, we get these moments with Charles Xavier, who's you know, if I remember right from Jay and Miles explaining the X Men, when, you know, early <laughs> on, they talk about you know the the idea of this is like he's trying to get back to no, they're students. And, you know, the, that's the goal is, like, they're, they're students at the school. They're not really supposed to be a superhero team, but, like, they get into some stuff anyway because they're mutants. Um, so I had never read this before, and I was just vaguely aware of this team. And uh, I don't know. I, I liked it. Apart from some really weird racial stuff that was, like, I just is weird. And I, like accurate or not of its time or not like it just rubbed me the wrong way um but you know yeah. was glad to glad to have read this you know beginning of this team because they're you know a big part of the um x-men universe so yeah, yeah this was a pretty fun read i enjoyed how clean the story is especially for an x-book yeah. especially for a claremont x-book right yeah yeah. It, yeah yeah it wasn't yeah, it didn't feel so heavy in the text. A couple of pages were, were a bit overwhelming, but in general, I think, yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, the art was pretty clean as well. I think for me, the only thing that I thought was a little weird was kind of like John mentioned some weird like racial stuff, specific specifically like the, the, the racism in Brazil. Yeah. Cause like, <laughs> listen, I'm not saying that I'm not saying Brazil doesn't have racism. I'm pretty sure it does. But is that specific racism in Brazil? Apparently, like... yes. Really? Yeah, really? so uh, one of the big criticisms of the New Mutants movie that I remember reading about is that mm -hmm. Sunspot wasn't black. 
because being an Afro-Brazilian was a big part of his identity in the comics and spoke to some people's real-world experience. Mm -hmm. So, uh, at least from that source, and, you know, Stephen heard that there was actually (laughs) this criticism of the movie. Like, from, from what I understand... That is a an aspect of of Brazilian society that doesn't really oh. get touched on in American comics because it's kind of far removed from American mm-hmm. experience. But still, like that is a thing. Yeah, that's so a, I I huh. love today because I my my sister lived in Brazil for a time and talks about like I assumed based on like the way that, you know, the cultures are mixed there more so than uh, in the United States, that there would naturally be less of that because you can't, like, well, I mean, maybe you could be racist against someone who is the same ethnicity, color as your parent, but, you know, it seems a little trickier when, like, you know, everyone could be all sorts of shades from white, white, white to black, 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 and, like, still family, still you know, all thrown together. I don't know. I yeah. I need to read read more into that. But it felt, from what I thought I knew, uh, off. Mm-hmm. I just I just thought based on the few conversations I've had with uh, like four Brazilians, <laughs> it's a sample size of four, which isn't very high. <laughs> but just based on those conversations, it always felt like it always felt like people of like brown and. And black skins were kind of the ma- the majority in Brazil. So to me, that interpretation, or at least like that uh, presentation of it, I was just like, oh, really? Granted, you know that also may have this is a book from was eighties also. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Granted, that situation may have changed, but maybe not by much because, as we all know, progress is very slow. Can be for sure. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I also do want to say, hey, Charles Xavier, you know, you know, you can make a school uh, where not everybody that goes there is a child soldier, right? Like, you know, that is. <laughs> and like, yeah. you know, like when you say school uniforms, they can just be like a shirt and a pair of pants, right? Like, it doesn't have to be a multicolored unitard like i'm just i'm just saying you have a very very narrow deathly definition of what students and schools are and maybe you should expand yeah. that yep because I, I love i love that he has like this turmoil right he's like i can't i can't you know see more of my x-men children die and be kidnapped and like i can't do that so i won't open the school again it's too hard i can't bear to lose them so he opens the school back up. He takes in some new students and immediately puts them into their military outfits. So it's like, you know, you can you can have it both ways, actually. Typically, you can't, but you can this time. You can have yeah. soldiers or students. <laughs> yeah, that, like, that, the fact that he has, like, military uniforms for them is the bit where I'm like, yeah, maybe yeah. maybe you are tempting fate here a little bit. Yeah, maybe maybe you should just put that as an extracurricular, like an optional. You know, <laughs> part of the ex-military, like yeah, you know what? Not this semester, but definitely next semester. I'll think about it then. <laughs> we got to gauge the interest to see if we have enough people to to fill the class before we can <laughs> exactly really commit to it. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Other thing that I want to nitpick here, and this is kind of, I think, kind of just runs with the territory. Um, <laughs> I don't know how to deal with, like, this particular topic. These are teenagers. They are underage. By page, like, three, Ryan Sinclair is just naked, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I get it. There's, you know, in-story reasons for it. There's, you know, it's not the most titillating 
posing it could be, but it's still, you are drawing a naked teenage girl. You show Danny Moonstar without a shirt on, on like the second to last page when she's changing into her outfit. And it's, I, I, you're dealing, I, this is something that I've always struggled with. You're dealing with a story about teenagers and sexuality is a part of being a teen, right? Discovering your own sexuality and stuff. But when it comes to like drawing teenage girls on panel, that always just weirds me out if you go this route. I think in large part because it frequently feels like the goal is a bit titillation and that's not okay. Nope. Yeah, I think specifically with the with the Danny one, that's a I mean, obviously somebody made a decision that this shape-shifting girl has to have like has has to eventually get, you know, magic clothes that can shapeshift with her and like that was a decision somebody made and apparently now we all have to live with that but like <laughs> but like the decision to have danny topless for like no reason right there's no narrative reason like that's that that's the one where i was like all right listen i was already kind of not cool with the whole ronnie thing but like eh, come on <laughs> but yeah like it's because the problem at least for me isn't like kind of like Steven, like you mentioned, isn't like when characters are exploring their sexuality because that is a thing about growing up or even past being a grown up, right? Like as an adult, it's also a thing that happens. And so when that's part of the story and you have to present that, well, obviously there are challenges, but it makes a little bit of sense there. Or, well, you know, makes a lot of sense depending on the story or whatever. But in here, like, it's just like, yeah, these were decisions somebody made. And do we have to live with these decisions? Yeah. I, I think it's Rain Sinclair. I'm, I'm, I'm saying it as many different ways as I, I can. Say that, I say that because I, too, also used to say Ronnie. And I was like, this is a hard name to say every time in my, in my uh, mental voice here, you know, your uh, internal monologue. And then somebody said it, Rain, and I was like, ooh. I think you mean Ronhe. Ronhe. Yeah. <laughs> Not sure about uh, how it's supposed to be said in Scottish, but uh, rain. Ronhe. 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 That's how we say wolf. <laughs> <laughs> any any other thoughts on the story? No, just, uh, still, mostly, still mostly criticisms on Charles Xavier's very narrow definition of what a school means. Like, yeah. We'll never get over that. <laughs> what if you went... What if you went to Charles... What if you had, like, a really cool mutant power, but you had no interest whatsoever in being an X-Man and somehow were able to sidestep all of the attacks on the school, but, like, were really into intramural ping-pong or something? It's like... No, you, know, you can you can snap your fingers and create entire universes. You can, like, punch moons out of orbit. Yeah, but, like, my pong game, man, I really... Like, it's just really suffering this semester. I really, I really just want a, an X-Men movie that is a stoner comedy. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's literally like, you know how, they, how they're like, you know, welcome to the X-Men, hope you survive the, the experience. Yeah. yeah. And it's just that. They, they just want to graduate. They just want to learn how to control, like, tur turning into molten lava or whatever their dumb power is. But they're a bit of a stoner and, like, they just want to survive. They just want to go home when they hit 18. <laughs> So it's like all these big events where, like, you know, Sentinels attack or the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants attack. Juggernaut bursts through the wall at some point, and they're just like, hey, man, I'm trying to get to gym. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like the Sentinel grabs him, and he just, like, melts into lava, like, in the tan and just kind of escapes, and he's like, I'm just going to, like, go hang out in my room for a session, my dude. Like, I don't want to deal with this. It's dude, dude, where's my Sentinel? <laughs> 
X-Men story of the super that's, slacker. I can dig it. That's the story I want. <laughs> that would be I would a good one. Because I, yeah. I was thinking about how, like, in the in the first X-Men movies, uh, when the Sentinels attack, or is it the Sentinels or whatever? I, I can't remember. It's been a long time. Or no, it's the army, that military. Yeah. In the second one, uh, yeah. Strikers, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> When they're attacking, you see a lot of kids there, right? So you see a lot of yeah. kids in the in the in the classes. You see a lot of kids just kind of hanging out in the quote unquote dorms because it's just a big mansion. I just I want to know about what they're doing. Like they're obviously not X Men, right? They're just there for classes. Like what are their plans? Do they get to sign up to be an X Men or not? Or like do they just not agree? Or is it or is Xavier? Or is Xavier's thing is like yeah, your mutant power is that you have eyes like a lizard and you have to lick them. Like, of course you're not going to be an X-Men. Like, but I'm quarterback. <laughs> it's like people pick on him. You're only a quarterback. Colossus over there can cover himself in metal and punch bad guys. It's like, oh, I had, like, I had 200 like I could... completed passes last season. Big friggin' deal. We flew to the moon. He's like, I could punch out Cyclops. Yeah, but can you shoot out laser beams? No. Well, no. As he licks his own eye again. <laughs> I like I like the kid who can't the kid who just needs to control himself. Because he turns into lava, right? But it's not like useful like shoot bad guys with lava. It's like his actual body that yeah. he can't throw around. He's like Pizza the Hut made of lava. So he's like stoned on his couch, burning through he's gotta get a fireproof couch. And then his buddy's power is like he can make people feel like they have to pee even though they don't, right? <laughs> and he's just trying to have a friend long enough to not alienate everyone around him because they're always like, oh, excuse me, got him under the jug, you know? <laughs> God. Yeah. And these guys are trying to, <laughs> these guys are trying to keep away from the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants long enough so that they can, you know, sneak out to go score weed in Westchester. <laughs> This is this is what this is what I want from their Marvel like manga in or not the their Korean comic initiative. This is what yes. this is the slice of life I want. There but which go. character uh, is a bad guy with a gun that you didn't expect? <laughs> Who's the Spider Man in this? <laughs> I forget which country that adaptation was, but it's wild to me that there's a bad guy Spider Man out there with a gun. He's not the bad guy. He's the good guy. He is He's the good guy. Spider-Man. It's the Sentai Spider-Man, right? I thought that he was a bad guy with a gun. No, the Japanese one? No, he's just the emissary from hell. He's just the emissary of hell. He's not the bad guy, though. <laughs> okay. Well, sorry. Excuse I'm sorry. From hell and he's not a bad guy. You guys can go screw yourselves. <laughs> I think you need to expand what you think from hell means. <laughs> I think it means a Johnny Depp movie. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the colors in this book are good. <laughs> like, I actually really like the coloring. It's it's very, like, subdued. And I think uh, kind of driven by the technology of the time, right? Uh -huh. But I like the palette. I like the sort of gentler colors. And I think it gives it more of a, almost a soap opera feel. Like, which is appropriate for the X-Men, where it's, like, kind of grounded, but all these weird things keep happening that obviously aren't things that would happen in the real world. I don't know, it almost makes it read like a Twin Peaks, where everything is kind of like grounded and real, but also super weird. But the stuff that's super weird isn't typically drawn like you would expect in big action-packed superhero comics. The one exception being Cannonball, who has like sound effects in his wake. 
there is some crazy stuff in this. We get these weird Vietnam flashbacks that like come to life. Um, Sh- uh, Shan's powers, you know, Karma's powers are look like you know, just big like. This this first time that uh, she uses it, it's like just like straight up marker on the on the page, you know, in these like big just blasts of uh, pink there, all sorts of stuff. Charles Xavier is wearing a purple shirt. This book is wild. <laughs> that's not that's not school appropriate clothing. <laughs> oh, sorry. Later, he's wearing a uh, thick red and white checked jacket over a white button up shirt. There we go. He he brings it back around to appropriate <laughs> again. No, but. I, I really like the art. I like that each character got like a unique style. Sunspot, you know, um, his powers are always like, it's like, does he burn people or is he, you know, he like converts the heat to strength and, and everything. But like his look is always like, holy crap, it's just kind of a scary thing. Um, I like that we still get a Wolverine in this book, even though it's like true of any X-Men. There's still Wolverine in this, even though he's not in the in the book at all. But like he's <laughs> the, worst, the worst nightmare of all these like partial robo henchmen. So well, because he sliced them all up in Dark mm-hmm. Phoenix song, right? Uh-huh, uh-huh. I I wish that um, I knew someone from Vietnam, someone from the Cheyenne Nation. Yeah. Um, to say like, hey, hey, is this is this uh, <laughs> how how is this treat how's this going? Because you know, we have one person's take on it, but um, yeah. it bugs me. They do it a lot in 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 uh, X Men books, but like writing in an accent sometimes can do a job like well but sometimes it's just too much like the irish and scottish that you get it's just too much it's just like like this this is an unintelligible like you know trying to to write out like that i don't know i like scottish twitter though so maybe i'm just a (laughs) that's the uh that's the um race stuff that kind of gets to me is kind of the stereotypes yeah um and it feel strongest with Danny Moonstar, who is a good yeah. character, but she kind of peddles in a lot of stereotypes of Native Americans. Like, she's got an affinity with animals. She's got connections with people's dreams. She hates the white man. That one's probably justified a little. Well, I... Oh, my gosh. Thanks for reminding me. That is one of my favorite pages. Thanks, thanks for reminding me that I hate the white man. <laughs> Aldo's been scratching his head all day. Dang it, there was something I was really upset about. There was something that's making me real upset spaghetti, and I can't remember what it was. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, Oldie Black Eagle, and I knew that name. How did you learn it? And it's like, Charles, as I was with your parents when they gave it to you, child. I am Xavier. He's like, I have come to help you as I promised your your father of Black Eagle Proud. <laughs> She's like, a lot of good your promise did, grandfather. I need nothing from you, white man. <laughs> Leave my hills. I was like, yes. Yes, tell the white man off, Danny. <laughs> you just like Xavier getting told off. That too, this is a double whammy for sure. I. <laughs> but he, I mean, is there a whiter comic book character? <laughs> Than Cuball Charles Xavier. I'm trying to then think. Ho- then hold on, the paralyzed but still very privileged white man who looks at yeah. all these minorities and is like, I can help you. Here, oh come to my oh mansion. <laughs> <laughs> come to my mansion and I'll teach you I'll teach you how to be the good ones. Oh, <laughs> it is. It's just it's just it's just freedom writers. Charles Xavier is Hillary Swank. Oh, no. Oh, boy. Anyways, uh, the lesson is Charles Xavier was never good. 
<laughs> but the story is is interesting at least it's not it's not like the be all and all of these characters and so there's a lot of story arcs that are kind of started but they're not really resolved but the characters themselves are interesting the art is good i think this one's worth a read even though yeah, professor x is definitely yeah. bad because it, yeah, it speaks to the potential of this team of this you know group i think and, it's uh, it's also one of those like really good like we're I don't know if it's world building, but one of those really good like world expanding care uh, books where like if somebody is asking you about X Men, you're like, yeah, it's a lot more than just like the main dudes on the cover of the X Men book. This is like a really good old classic team. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's a good book to recommend. Indeed. Um, I don't have anything else to say about it. I not anymore, white man. I was gonna say. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think Whitey has said enough. <laughs> um well, i mean i guess oh gosh is that our segue now we need to hear from the brown person on the podcast that can't oh. be our segue <laughs> that can't be it. that's bad right that's bad uh anyways just like me we're gonna get to the book that's one of the good ones oh. <laughs> anyways let's talk about peter parker and his white women <laughs> It's like he's you say like he has a van full or something. I don't a web of them, a web of white women. Just oh my gosh. Anyways, we're gonna, we're talking about Mary Jane of Black Cat Beyond, which is tied into the Spider Man Beyond event. I don't know what the Beyond thing is. I know it was like a, some sort of like Spider event. There's like one of those a year now, like. They kind they kind of fit it in a couple months before or after like the major Marvel event. There's also a Spider-Man event thing going on. It feels like, but uh, anyways, this is a tie-in, like a single issue tie-in. It's written by Jed McKay and art by C. F. Villa, or Villa, probably Villa. But this is a story that takes place while Peter Parker has been knocked out for some reason. He's in the hospital. He's recovering. And on one day that Black Cat goes to visit him, he's being held kind of at gunpoint by an ex-villain or by a villain who used to be the Hood and has since lost his Hood and he wants it back. And he wants Black Cat to help recover it for him and he will let Peter Parker go. Not knowing that Peter Parker is Spider-Man. And Mary Jane is in the room too and so Black Cat convinces him to let Mary Jane go with and her and... I mean, hold on. <laughs> convinces uh, her to go with go with her and then the two kind of go out on a night spree of fighting villains and tracking down where what happened to this hood right and so they end up talking to was it something nefaria like lord nefaria count lucino nefaria yeah yeah, so they end up talking to him and he kind of gives them an idea that like, in order to defeat the hood and the hood's hood is a magical hood, please do not take a shot every time I say hood because I'm going to say it a lot in the next three minutes. <laughs> <laughs> that when Hawkeye defeated the hood, he had to have a different object, a different magical object to fight it. So he has a, a magical, he got a magical duffel bag that he used to defeat and eat that original hood. So now Mary Jane, a black cat, are looking for this hood and they go through several villains before they finally get to the bottom of this list and uh, Tombstone is the one who has it now. So they trick him by dressing up Mary Jane as Black Cat to to distract uh, Tombstone and while he's away, the actual Black Cat gets in, 
steals the duffel bag, and they are then able to trick the hood by making him think that they've brought back the hood. But guess what? Plot twist, surprise, nobody saw this coming. M. Night Shyamalan time. It wasn't the hood. It was the duffel bag who only wanted to complete the, the delicious <laughs> taste set of the hood and the hood's owner. And so he, it, he eats the hood. Not the magical hood, but the villain known as the hood. The man, the hood. The legend. Yeah, the legend. <laughs> uh, so with the hood defeated, this duffel bag, I guess, in tow. I don't. They don't really explain what they do with it. I know they take it with them up in the later shots. But <laughs> Peter Parker kind of sort of coming out of whatever sleep he's in. He makes, you know, a little comment about, like, both Mary Jane and Black Cat in the black latex outfit going, like, is this the dream again? Be gentle. And then the two girls have a very, like, interesting conversation about their place in Peter Parker's life and kind of around each other, right? With Mary Jane kind of being seen as the good girl. And Black Cat kind of being seen as as the bad girl. Who is just kind of the fling that's there until the good girl wins again. To which, like, Mary Jane reveals that, you know, she gets it. She used to be the bad girl as well. And, you know, they talk about Gwen Stacy and how Gwen Stacy was kind of this pillar of you know innocence and beauty and perfection and how hard it is to like fight that so they get it so they get like this really kind of beautiful bonding moment where you know she kind of emphasizes that even though you know she is (laughs) she can sometimes be the other girl she's still like a very special person to to both mary jane and peter parker and she's not just a footnote or another line in a song Nope, sorry. I'm the only one who listens to Fallout Boy. <laughs> <clears throat> <laughs> no, I just didn't want to out myself as a Fallout Boy fan. That's all. <laughs> I I expected this to be one thing, and it wasn't. So that's yeah. that's pretty cool. Yeah, I to be fair, this... <laughs> I I sold this. I sold this almost exclusively on the single panel from page twenty eight, in which Black Cat tells Mary Jane that she wasn't sure if her Trump. If her dump truck ass was gonna fit in one of her suits, but they made it work. Yep. <laughs> I expected that this was Aldo just being horny, right? Yeah. I, I yeah. mean, I, I, I was. <laughs> to be fair, this success, was my first time reading this. the point. <laughs> like, the thing is, this was a pretty good book. Yeah. yeah. A lot of the recent Black Cat stuff has been really. I've been reading. I finished, like, the first series. I'm missing, like, a couple issues from the second series, so I haven't uh, read that one yet. But it's been really good. Like, Black Cat, they've really kind of fleshed her out. They've been doing a lot of really good stuff with her. And I think they've... It feels like they've kind of figured out what to do with her as a protagonist of, of her book or, like, what it means to have her be a protagonist. And it's not that she's an anti-hero or a villain or anything. It's that she's a thief. Right, and that just means she has a different moral code than the typical heroes. But apart from that, like she's she's really fleshed out as a character nowadays, as opposed to like in the past, kind of like how she mentions, right? For the most part, that's kind of what she was. She was like Spider-Man's fling. He would come in, holds her own in a fight, and then like dips once Peter Parker realizes that he has a crush on a criminal or something. Or like the rhino's rampaging, and it's like, why are you wasting time with this petty thief? You know, like. Oh man, you guys remember that the rhino was in this book? Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's like one panel where they're talking to the rhino, and he's just like so happy to have these girls here. He's got his arms around them both, and they're just like having the best time. 
he's having the best time. They're humoring him. <laughs> Not in like a creepy way, in like he's this overly gregarious drunk guy, right? Yeah. Their faces their faces are really well drawn. Their faces like, are yeah, really yeah, drawn. Yeah, yeah. Oh, the acting in this book is quite good. It is. I, it is. I expect this was like this was like a, a fun, like, you know, like Go, this this is the answer to the fa- the Fantastic Four book. It's like, <laughs> yay, girl power. Because, because like, I thought it was going to be like, you know, all these, it, like, you know, the typical poses that you would expect from Black Cat and Mary Jane. And, like, apart from the fact that, like, like they are never shown without cleavage, um, they, like, it's not like I'm going to, like, twist my back in an impossible way th- so you can see my butt and my chest all at the same time. We didn't really get that. It was more like, hey, we're going to outsmart these bad guys and, uh, you know, like, help Peter out of this jam and uh, outsmart this, you know, criminal, uh, you know, the hood. Like, well, the hood is kind of like, I don't know, he's like, he kind of, I don't know, the, like, the, the comic I've read of his, he, like, outsmarted, um, he got an Infinity Stone. He got a couple at one point, you know. And, like, outsmarted the Avengers. But very quickly, like, they were like, no, 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 no. You are the hood. <laughs> like, know your place. So I, it was not what I expected. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I did not like the cover. I think that's, like, the only bit of criticism that I've got for this book. Oh, yeah, like, it's a J. Scott yeah. Campbell cover. Yeah, yeah I, I, I don't mind J. Scott Campbell. I just, there's something about the women's proportions on this cover that's just like, that, no. They're, like, sickly thin. Yeah, and like elongated, yeah. they're like stretched out. Yeah, that's the thing I will say about uh, Villa, which I also I, I looked him up. Uh, he's a Mexican artist. CF Villa. Yeah, CF Villa, Carlos Fabian Villa. And something that makes a lot of absolute sense is that he used to do art uh, for Udon. Oh yeah, that does make sense. Yeah, so that kind of makes sense, and I, and so for the people that don't know, Udon kind of handles a lot of the comics Thanks. for. Capcom properties, no problem, John. <laughs> so they so they do a lot of the comics for like Street Fighter or Dark Soccer or anything like that. Stuff that tends to have kind of like this book does, like kind of beautiful but like tough fighting like women. So when you look at the proportions in this book compared to the cover, they are definitely a little bit more muscular and a little bit more I guess like curvaceous as well, but like still ground a little bit more realistic and i think it also it also depends on the shot too right because on that page 12 where mary jane shows up to talk to to the count she's drawn very beautifully but she's not drawn like in like a cheesecake type thing if that makes sense uh she's very much made to look like elegant as she's Mm -hmm. appearing to the count there's almost no like cheeky cheesecake in this at all yeah and it just i don't know like it's good it's, it's, yeah. it's a fun story with characters who have an interesting little rapport. Um, they have some history, which I don't know their specific history. Like, I know Black Cat and Peter Parker have history. I know MJ and Peter Parker have history. I don't know that MJ and Black Cat know a lot about each other. But you get enough of a sense of their relationship <laughs> that you don't really need to know that history. It makes me interested to know that history. I want to read more black cat stuff because this is an interesting take on the character it's yeah it's, it's a good book i like that she's instantly like she's part of my crew you know yeah that's like, great and then just like you know keeps her safe and also like 
they find a use for her. You know, she's like, oh, brother. But Captain Afraid, is that Mary Jane Watson? And, like, the way that he's drawn running up to her, is he, is it, okay, is he a vampire? You guys can tell me the truth. He's not a vampire, I don't believe. He's a count. He's got a spooky cape. He has minions. He has a big throne. He's watching a movie at night. He's not a vampire. Okay. Anyway, but he, like, rushes up to her as if he has super speed, and I can see it in, like, uh, I, I'm sure it happens in a lot of anime. In uh, um, there's, a, there's a couple of times when uh, Aang in Avatar The Last Bearbender does that, like, run that's, like, you know, really, really fast, and there's, like, a, you know, smoke coming up behind him, dust coming, he's raising dust off the ground because he's moving so quickly, there's a dust trail behind him. We get that in that panel, and it's very funny, like, hee <laughs> this, like, comical moment where he's, like, this big, scary, bad guy who's, like, you know, giving Felicia the, the uh, cold shoulder, and then... Mary Jane Watson, boom, and he runs over to her. So, I thought that was he's a he's a Madame Mask's father. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's the only thing I know about him. That's it. Um, That's I, all I got. Yeah, and I know it's like neither here nor there really kind of important to this conversation about this book specifically. But Via, I think, has been like the the main artist on the Black Cat solo series since like issue ten of the first volume. And apart from that, like the like the stories have been interesting because kind of like I mentioned that they really kind of zone in on her being a uh, a thief, not necessarily a villain. So like the first volume is a lot about her and her father figure and kind of helping him kind of get out of the game but just kind of helping him out of out of some trouble and so you get like a bit of a john wick situation where they kind of talk and show you a little bit about this thieves underworld that happens in there um but a lot of that then leads into her crew like she has like a crew of people that she's super loyal to and they're super loyal to her back and like when i was reading this and she mentioned that like the the crew i was like ooh. Are we actually gonna get to see the crew? And we, you do get to see them for a for one panel, <laughs> which is which is the was it page, uh, thirteen. They're in the van and they're they're super oh, yeah. cool dudes. Yeah, I like them. I think there's one more who doesn't show up in this in this panel. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. She she has like a good cast of characters. They're all really fun. At some point, they have to steal something from Doctor Strange, so they have to like break into the Sanctum Santorum and. Actually, I think in the beginning of the second volume, during the whole King in Black stuff that's happening, like that super big major event, they have to steal Doctor Strange from the King in Black. They have to heist the Doctor. <laughs> <laughs> that's Jeez. pretty great. Yeah, so like her solo stuff has been really good. Um, so I think I was actually really happy with this with this book because it, it's separate from all of that which is really nice when you have a, like a tie-in book that's kind of separated it doesn't just feel like a big shill for the rest of the event it's nice solo story and it keeps the quality of the main book that it's kind of tying into and out of yeah um i don't have anything else to say about this i think aldo summed it up really well uh yeah quality just, just fun. Yeah. yeah. I really like the part where the duffel bag eats a man. And Jane <laughs> is very grossed out by this. <laughs> and Black Cat is not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think one of my favorite things is the faces. There's just a, a lot of really good faces in this. Yeah. Like, I don't... There's not a lot of, you know, verisimilitude to the proportions and the anatomy and sometimes... But the acting is so good. Who cares? Like... There, there are some bits where it's like the proportions are a little bit wonky or whatever, but the acting is so good. I don't actually really care that much. I enjoyed the faces. I enjoyed... I just enjoyed so much about this. <laughs> I think a lot of the facial acting in 
that last conversation, that that the that rooftop conversation between Mary Jane and, and Black Cat, there's so many expressions per page. And even and I think even I mean, throughout the whole book too, right? But the fact that we're getting a lot of panels, it's not a lot of action. It's just like a conversation and the faces are so different mm-hmm. from each of those. Like, in, I think it's like the second to last page where Black Cat has just told her that, you know, she's she's the bad girl with the distractions so the good girl wins. And then Mary Jane is laughing. Just kind of like the three separate expressions of Black Cat kind of giving her a side eye while you're also seeing uh, Mary Jane ugly laugh in that first panel <laughs> like it's all really good stuff like yeah. it's just they're really dynamic and i think they work really well kind of yeah in sequence is there um anyone with a worse disguise than black black cat well they explain that her mask <laughs> wait did i miss a panel yeah there was actually this really great bit where you know black cat is like that's the thing about the mask it distracts people so they don't really look at your full face. All they see is, you know, mask and white hair, and they think, oh, that's the black cat. What they don't realize is that it's the actress Mary Jane Watson. Right. So, I like, it's not a great disguise. It's a good costume, and there's an in-text reason for why it works to protect her identity. I don't know that it's a believable one, but for the purpose of, like, superhero comics, I'm fine with it. You also have to remember that Black Cat is a character who, like, owns her sexuality. So, like, the fact that she's also showing cleavage is also, like, a distraction point. So, like, not to be that guy, but, like, also how many people are actually looking at her face in a costume like that, which is, from an in-world perspective, is kind of the point. That's kind of what Emma Frost is, the whole thing is, is, like, you're going to see a lot, and then I'm going to know what you think about it. <laughs> and, like, then I will know what kind of person you are. And I think one of my favorite explanations I've seen about that was... And I, and I don't know if it was a Gail Simone run, but it was a Red Sonia book. And in which, like, they're asking her about, like, her armor, right? Because she she has the, the chainmail bikini, right? Because that's yeah. Red Sonia. Only good character with a chainmail bikini. <laughs> Yeah, and there, somebody's asking her about, like, you know, why why do you wear that? Aren't you concerned that, like, you're distracting the men or blah, 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 that you're not going to be protected? And she's like, I wear this because this is, like, what I'm most comfortable wearing, especially as I go into battle, which, uh, a little sus, but whatever. Uh, but the the part the part that stands out in that is that she's she says, I'm a warrior and I'm here to fight. And if these men are going to be distracted by my body and they lose or they die, that's their fault. That is not on me. That sounds like Gail Simone. I like that. It also could be a roundabout way of saying, like, we're going to keep her in a, in a metal bikini. Y'all oh, yeah, absolutely. It. It, it, it is <laughs> okay. very much that. Again, yes. again. Very much uh, that. Text and the meta text. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> yeah. Nice. And we get we get Tombstone in this, and Tombstone is creepy, and he quickly gets duped, which was great. So, <laughs> yeah, he looks more like a zombie in this one. I'm I'm also used to him having like just a giant forehead, mm. but here he is with a machete. Good. It's actually a really good little sequence. Yeah, John, do you have anything else to say about this one? No, I liked it. I was oh, just no, surprised. Do you have anything else and... to say about this one? <laughs> yeah, I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> Should we rank them? <laughs> yeah, let's let's rank them. Let's rank them. Let's go on our list here. This this list that we keep of all of the books that we've been reading, and let's rank them. So currently, we have a hundred and ninety eight stories on our list. Jeez, and if, you know what the thing is is like compared to people who like 
really do read comics regularly, this is not very many. <laughs> like, no, this isn't. Like, <laughs> part of me was like, we could do this podcast and it'll help us to keep up to date on on all of the current comics. No, no, yeah, if we, we quit are not doing anything date. else. Yeah. Gosh, jeez. Anyway, we got a good a good list of comics here. We've got number. Uh, just to grab a number at random. Number 50. Okay, it wasn't that random. That's the Joss Whedon X-Men run, or the first part of it, which, you know, the gildings come a bit off the Joss Whedon Lily, but still a pretty Ooh. decent book. Uh, now let's go to uh, number 150. Number 150 is Longshot. I think it's a good story. That's divisive. That's where we start to get into the really divisive part of the list. Where do we want to rank Fantastic Four Childhood's End? Um, where's the section of, like, hey, this, this, there's something here, but it's not very good in the way that it's done. Where's the mansplaining section? We have a, we have a watch out beyond this point lies racism section. And we have, like, a, hey, below this is just garbage. Um, I would say like somewhere the... in the, like, 110s, 120s. Okay, good, I'll, that's where I was looking. I was going to ask... Where we have that was it the Thanksgiving? Uh, men call me Magneto. Yeah, the Gwenpool. Oh, is it the the Magneto one? Yeah, yeah, the men call me. That's yeah. one thirty four. The mutant who came to dinner. Yeah, this is the right neighborhood. Yeah, I have yeah. a heart. Listen, both books are good, but only one of these books has <laughs> Magneto announcing himself by saying, "Men call me Magneto." So, like, I feel like he that says book. that's how he introduces. You know what? I reread the X Men. Uh-huh. And that's how he introduces himself to the X-Men, too. So the fact that, like, it's, like... <laughs> it's his catchphrase. It's his catch... But, like, imagine, like, you know, he bumps into somebody on the on the escalator or something. Oh, hi, how's it going? My name's Erica. Men call me Magneto. And he goes to the coffee shop, and they're like, I have a, I have a latte for men call me Magneto. Or, like, for Eric. No, men call me Magneto. He corrects the barista. Anyway... <laughs> Um, I would put it, you mentioned that, I like it a little better than that, because I think it's a, you know, tighter story. I would put it, oh, let me think, above 132. I would put it yeah, at it's one, not would, going there. But, yes, it is. No, it is not better than Mary Jane Homecoming. It's not. <sighs> yes, it is. Do you know why? Because I gave a crap about this story, and I do not give two craps about Mary Jane Homecoming. You can love it, you can kiss your book and put it onto your pillow every night and tuck it there to give you good dreams, but it is just not, it is not good. Uh, I have to agree with Steven on this one, John. <laughs> I need your mailing address to forward this knife that has appeared in my back. <laughs> I thought you were going to send me, like, a glitter bomb, and I would be real sad. No, man, that's mean. I just want to send you a knife. <laughs> John, you know Aldo's going to side with me on the Mary Jane homecoming issue in almost every case. Not out of ten times. Then I would put it above Election Day, because I like it better than Election Day. As much as the message of Election Day is good as a comic book story, eh. I I would agree with that. Election Day is one of the weaker Ms. Marvel stories. Yeah. So the new number 133 between Mary Jane Wait, Homecoming so, and Election Day. But you're saying you're saying there's no chance for me to give the get this above Mary Jane Homecoming. <laughs> this story? No. You're putting a glass ceiling above my Sue Sue Richards comic book. Is that what I, I knew exactly you're saying? Where that was going? <laughs> it's not a glass ceiling. It's a concrete ceiling. The glass ceiling can be broken. Ah. Uh, uh. I'll believe it when I see it. Oh, <laughs> Ooh, don't like that. Okay, New Mutants graphic novel. Where does that one go? Higher. Higher. 
I can take you higher. <laughs> I'm so, wait, hold on. Was that Aldo Sings Creed? I think that was supposed to be Creed. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know how I feel about that, because it would be entertaining, but I would also, like, have to listen to Creed. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I had to hear Creed in order to be able to sing Creed, so. <laughs> I feel you. Anyways. <laughs> I don't think this is, like, super high on the list. Let's see, is it in the top 100, though? Probably, right? That's kind of where I'm looking, is, like, between... Uh, Do we think, is this as seminal, as important, as amazing as Demon Bear? I think you need this for Demon Bear. It's got a similar problem to Demon Bear. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's uh -huh. better, because Demon Bear, like, I don't know. Okay, so I think Demon Bear is better, but I think this should rank higher because the thing that's keeping Demon Bear low, or lower, I should say, is more uncomfortable. Mm. And that's the white people who get eaten by the Demon Bear and turned into Native Americans. That's the piece that makes me put that lower. Plus, I think Sienkiewicz's art was a little bit divisive. I really liked it. I don't think you guys were quite as high on it. I, I, liked, I liked it. Um, I liked, I don't know, I liked, because it was one of those that I heard about through the Jay and Miles Explain the X-Pen uh, podcast, and they just gushed over, like, this bear is so, like, this is, this is the bear. And then I saw him, I was like, okay, I'm, I kind of, I kind of dig this now because of, like, you know, it's one of those rare times when someone builds things up and it makes it better as opposed to, like, setting expectations too high, so. I, I thought Demon Bear was higher, that's why I brought it up. Yeah. I, I want to put Demon Bear higher, actually, but I'm, the race bit is the bit that concerns me. We're not saying by putting Demon Bear higher than the New Mutants graphic novel that we're okay with it. Yeah. Here's the thing. I would rather read this than Earth X, though. Hmm. Which is just uh -huh. a couple slots higher. Uh-huh. I would rather read it than uh, Project Galsimian. Galsimian. Uh-huh. The one we can't pronounce. I'd rather read it than Marvel Comics 1000. I'd rather read it than Stay Angry. Would you rather read it than Star Wars and You Hope manga? Nope. Then I think we found our 93. Yeah. We could have gone up the list one by one by one by one by one again, right? But no. Number 93, between Star Wars and New Hope manga and Stay Angry. Yes. Okay. I like that placement. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'd rather read it than Secret Wars, which is right above that. But I think Secret Wars is, is important in a weird way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mary Jane Black Cat Beyond. I kind of want to put it higher. Here's the thing. It's, it's like, it's... Since it's such a single issue, it is um, the difficulty to like do it well. I think goes down because it's not like they're keeping a story going and interesting through several issues. So um, not super high. I don't know. I mean, like, because I, I just think it's like it is harder to keep a, a good story interesting and keep you know developing those characters while also advancing the plot forward in 22 issues as opposed to it is to 22 pan or pages. Yeah, mm -hmm. but I also feel like it's equally hard to make a compelling story with development <laughs> in a single issue. That mostly stands on its own. Yeah. Yeah. It stands on its own because everyone reading this, you know, one shot knows about the the piles and piles and piles of back history of these two characters and we're just getting to see them interact which i don't know if we've seen before it, John, like I not literally like this said i had no idea about the relationship between these two characters yeah yeah i literally said that i i don't want to dismiss it for being a single issue but i also have a real soft spot for like the recent black cat comics mm -hmm. and like i think this goes higher than what we just read but not like a lot higher like, it, to me, this is comparable to those Jessica Jones stories that we've been reading. 
the, the uh-huh. mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Kelly Thompson ones. Um, yeah, the highest the one of those Daughter. is Purple Daughter at 64. I don't think this goes that high, but I do think it goes above uh, Blind Spot, which is at 86. So I think it goes somewhere in that range. Not exactly sure where. I could agree with that. I have a hard time putting this above Thor's Battle World. That's kind of... But that puts it... I mean, that still puts it... I don't enjoy Truth, Red, White, and Black. <laughs> like, but that's, again, another You're not really, Enjoy is the wrong way to experience that book anyway. I... Yeah, okay. <laughs> I don't think that's a book you read because you, you want to feel good. No. Especially as a white man in America. <laughs> oh, I get it. We're the bad guys. In America. No, it's everywhere, uh, to, man. To be, yeah, to be fair, there's a lot of places, too. Uh, <laughs> no, everywhere. <laughs> I don't know. I'm pretty, I'm, I'm Even pretty Europe. Sure sea li- I'm pretty sure sea lions are the villain in, like, the Arctic. Oh, yeah, they eat penguins. Wait, Ar- Arctic. Uh, they eat Antarctic. baby polar bears. <laughs> Antarctic, they eat penguins. I don't know who eats baby polar bears. I wouldn't hey, really do that, but... Hey, Aldo. What's up? Um, Children's Crusade. Would you say that's better or worse? Uh, I really like Children's Crusade, and I feel like I'm typically in the minority of that. Um, at least in how much I like Children's Crusade. Uh, that's a hard one. Because I think that's the line. It's somewhere around there. Yeah, to be fair, I think I was I was ready to put this around Thor's Battle World, but now Yeah, I think mm-hmm. the introduction of Spider Gwen goes higher than this. Yes. You know what? I would put this above Vampire State. Yeah, definitely yeah. I think I think it wrestles a little bit with Children's Crusade, but I think at least for me, Children's Crusade kinda wins out a little bit. What do you think, John? I would put it above Children's Crusade, but I understand that you guys might not want to do that. I'm gonna but side with John because I don't remember I don't remember Children's Crusade enough to to understand why it's as high as it is. That's that's the yeah. one with where one of the the Bradley child screws everything up multiple times because he's a jerk. Yeah, uh, no, I I, I want to put Black Cat just above that. I think. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, it's John rare. I'm the two to one. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> okay, you know what? You say that like every episode, John. I don't think it's as rare as you make it feel. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. But the feeling, the feeling is there. The feeling is always that I'm like fighting uphill to be like, I just liked it. And you guys are like, no, but the, you see this, like, yo. So that's that's the ranking for this episode. Well done, guys. We did good. Next episode, we're gonna, we're gonna... We're still reading some shorter books, I think. We're we're in the it's the middle of summer. It's hot, yeah, and we're busy. It's so hot. It's uh, it's a lot. So uh, we're gonna read a couple of of slightly shorter stories. First of all, it's not that short. Um, we're gonna read Demon Days. Demon Days is a relatively recent miniseries by. Uh, Peach Momoko, with some simply gorgeous art. Uh, uh-huh. It runs through five different, uh, differently named Demon's Days titles. So navigating it in Marvel Unlimited is admittedly a little tough. It's a pain. It's a bit of a pain. There is a reading list, I believe, for Demon Days uh, in the uh, reading guides section. So just look for Demon Days Saga in there. And you get the order. You read Demon Days X-Men, followed by Demon Days Mariko, followed by Demon Days Cursed Web, Demon Days Rising Storm, and then Demon Days Blood Feud. And that's really complicated, so we're going to follow that up with a much simpler story. We're going to read three issues of Deadpool. This is uh, Deadpool Volume 2, numbers 10 through 12, the Dark Rain story arc. This is... 
I, I, I voted for this when you were saying, hey, what if we did Dark Reign? Dark Reign is when Norman Osborn is leading the Avengers, right? Yeah, that's that's correct. It's interesting. So I've been listening to, I actually just finished uh, listening to the audiobook of All the Marvels, which is a, basically it's a collection of essays by Douglas Walt, who read every single in-continuity Marvel comic. Dang. I'm sorry, repeat that? He read every single incontinuity book? Yeah, yeah. He, he talks a little bit about his selection criteria. There were some things that he said don't count as being in continuity for certain reasons, but he read a lot of comics and then he wrote a book about it. And it's interesting, I expected the book to be kind of a summary of the incontinuity history of the Marvel Universe, but it, rather it's a collection of essays and there's one chapter, he doesn't do essays on all of the topics that you think he's going to do. Like he doesn't do an essay on Captain America. He doesn't do an essay on Iron man he doesn't do an essay on like a lot of the big name characters he does uh, on quite a few of them but he also does an essay on dark rain and he's like dark rain weirdly predicted the trump administration oh, <laughs> oh don't say that i already hate now this. i'm gonna be bummed i'm gonna be really bummed yep uh, it's a deadpool story i don't think it's gonna be that much of a bummer yeah fair but still like <sighs> is deadpool the rudy giuliani of the x-men <laughs> what 